Spot on Sports is brought to you by the Belfast Gastro Pub, where love stories begin. Located at 101 North Wellwood Avenue, Lindenhurst, New York. Now it's time for Spot on Sports. Here's your host, Mike Trezor and Mike Cadone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Spot on Sports, New York's premier sports talk show where we talk sports, all New York sports, and nothing but New York sports. My name is Mike Trezor, the great Michael Anthony at the controls tonight. We've got plenty to discuss with you tonight. Yankees, Mets, Jets, Giants. We've got a special in-studio guest we'll get to in just a moment. Before we do any of that, let me say hi to my co-host, the coach, Mike Gadone. Trez, great to be back. You know, uh, after a, a little hiatus, I apologize. I only only Acura in uh, the entire world that breaks <laughs> down on a weekly basis. But hey, listen, it's great to be back. You know, each, each time we sit down and talk, um, there's always something new. Wonderful to have Jets and Giants talk, even though not the greatest debut for either team. But we got Yankees, Mets, uh, you know, you name it, we're going to talk about it. And before we do any pro sports, folks, we have a great story with a great guest. We want to introduce him right now. His name is Brad Merrilla. He's an old friend of mine. He's been on the show before. But last time we had him on, we had a couple technical difficulties. Of course, that would never happen with the great Michael Anthony Not here. at the controls. No, never. Uh, but anyway, we want to welcome back to the show the guy we call the stadium guy. Mr. Brad Merrilla. Trez, Coach, it's great to be here again. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to see you, Brad. And uh, you folks will see on the table in front of us is Brad's handcrafted two-scale model of Ebbets Field. He has some exciting news about that, which we're going to share in just a moment. But just to give you guys some of the backstory, um, we had Brad on back in the spring. He had gotten some news from the Hall of Fame in terms of displaying this model as well as his Yankee Stadium model. But, Brad, let's go back to the beginning of the story. So uh, we're going to take you back to the 70s. Brad, you're a 12, 13-year-old kid. You came up with the idea to make a two-scale model of the old, original Yankee Stadium. Tell us when and where you got the idea and how long it took. All right. Um, as a Yankee fan growing up, I loved the old stadium. I was, I was there many times. I just loved the grandeur and just the way that it looked, the way it presented itself and what it represented. And when the um, Yankees decided that they wanted to either move out of the city to either Dallas or New Orleans or even New Jersey, um, New York City decided to buy Yankee Stadium and the surrounding property and renovate the ballpark and make it modern. Kind of like a Shea Stadium clone almost. And I, as, as great of an idea as that was, I was upset that they were going to take this beautiful stadium and, and make a modern stadium out of it. So I wanted to represent it as best I could uh, in, in miniature form. So um, I gathered up every piece of information I could from newspapers, from pictures, from even pictures or films that I took myself at the at the ballpark. And once I developed all of that info, I decided to build this model starting from uh, the time I turned 13 years old. 
And you didn't know at the time just how long, uh, how exhaustive a process it was going to be and how long it was going to take you. How long did it take you? I had no idea it was going to take me 16 and a half years <laughs> to finish it. Crazy. Um, and there, there were obstacles and roadblocks throughout the way that, that stretched it out somewhat. Um, no internet, no computers, no nothing like that. No knowledge that we have today, no technology. So everything was based on manual pictures and drawings. Um, I would look at it after maybe two, three years, and I decided, well, I don't like the way this looks, so I would tear it out, redo it. And once I finally got it to the point where I was satisfied, um, it took another, oh, maybe another 12 years to finish it. In February of 89 is when I actually finished it. But before that, about five years before that, I was two light towers away from the completion. <laughs> I went to move it into another house where where uh, where we were living. I put it on the upper shelf of of the closet of the room that we did all of our hobbies in. The table I was bringing into that room where ironically I was going to build the model on, I put it down. The closet had a slope to it. It slid <sighs> and it overturned, fell right on the roof and I lost about two thirds of the upper deck, the whole facade, the roof. And um, I was very, very upset. I couldn't even look at it. So I was going to ask you, how long did it take then to get the energy to restart what you had lost? It was another couple of years easily. Wow. Um, so once, once I, once I finally got myself motivated to do it again, um, I gathered up every broken piece, that I could, whatever I could save, I saved. There are still some broken pieces of that model that are still existing in it, uh, including the entire straightaway on the third base side of the upper roof. There's a okay. big crack in it. And <laughs> well, it's probably realistic, yeah. right? Or what, yeah. what the Yankee Stadium was at that time. Well, yeah, uh, it was, it was in somewhat uh, disrepair. And that's another reason that, um, you know, it was going to be rebuilt. But once I finished it in February of 89, that's when, um, we decided to pursue some some exposure. So local papers came into came into existence. Then Newsday, then the Daily News, then the New York Times, then TV, News Twelve, Bob Wolf, um, uh, interviews um, in 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 Yankee games, an MSG piece, which was the last piece that was done in 1998, and uh, then it just sat for a while, sat in in my room. And I decided, well, you know, we, we, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna try to get this going again. Yeah. And so the, let me, let me stop you for a minute, Brad, and let's go to this one. After okay. spending 16 and a half years on the Yankee one, where did you get the inspiration to start working on the one we see in front of us, which is the, again, two scale model, um, completely detailed down to the most minute details of the old Ebbets field. Uh, my father, a diehard Brooklyn Dodger fan and uh, celebrated Yankee hater, um, <laughs> he made no bones about that. He said, well, you finished Yankee Stadium, why don't you build Ebbets Field? And I kind of took that to heart and I said, okay, I will. So uh, same thing, 1989, when I started this in sep September of 89, again, uh, no internet, no technology. Uh, I was able to get a hold of a seating chart. So this one I didn't have to tear apart uh, after I did it. Um, I scaled it all out. It's one 
to 360, which means one inch is 30 feet. Both models are the same scale. And um, this one, in my opinion, I think is more detailed. It's, 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 I was older. I was more experienced as a model maker. So this one to me is more of a, of a model and not like a piece of uh, art, if you will. Yes. Like, like, a, like a, not a child, but somebody very young would start. Um, and so this one, it's, it looks more professionally done and it came out really well. It did. It's it's fabulous. And for our viewers, folks, if you haven't seen this, I don't know if you can get uh, a good enough visual on it. There you go. That's a bit, little bit of a better angle where you get some more of the detail. The detail on both of these is really incredible. Last time we had Brad on, he had both models with him. And uh, the detail's incredible. So if you want to <laughs> comment us, folks, if you have a question you want to ask Brad or just a comment about his models or anything you want to say to Mike and me, we'd love to share your comments on the show tonight. Uh, but Brad, I wanted to get to the point where um, you had gone through, as you mentioned, in the late 90s or um, anywhere from the late 80s to the late 90s, a series of interviews yes. um, and media um, appearances, so forth and so on. So you got to the point where you decided, hey, you know what? I've got to start to think about a permanent home for these yes. uh for these pieces yes well i have no heirs and um nobody to leave them to and i wanted to make sure that they had that both models had a permanent home so um the hall of fame expressed interest the baseball hall of fame in cooperstown cooperstown expressed interest in displaying not one but both and that's when we did the piece with news 12 um we recreated in part a piece with Doug Gee that he had done in uh, 30 years ago, actually. And, um, on the, on both models. And we revisited that piece. And that's when we announced that both models were going to the hall of fame a day after that piece aired, I get an email from the hall of fame stating that due to space and storage limitations, we are respectfully declining your donation. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I want to ask you, because you and I talked about it just really briefly off the air, and we I'd never got a chance to dig into it with you. So that must have been kind of a kick in the teeth for you, no? It was beyond embarrassing. It was demoralizing. I, I, uh, I was very, very upset. And so I'm like, well, I need to try to try to pick up the pieces here. So what I did was I went on the um, Brooklyn Dodgers Historical Society. Um, actually, it's the Nostalgia Society page on Facebook. And I presented the whole scenario. And in the meantime, I had tried to get the Yankees Museum in the stadium to, to display the Yankee model. And four years in a row, I was rebuffed okay. because of space and storage limitations. Now they have plenty of space there, so I'm not going to get into bad mouthing. Yeah, the, that's uh, organization. ridiculous. But but that being said, um, uh, so I was rebuffed by them. Um, so I was looking for other places to to display. Um, actually, this model I was concentrating on the Brooklyn Historical Society, the Jackie Robinson Museum, the New York City Museum. I was rebuffed by every one of them. Space and storage limitations. So that post um, got um, 
to the attention of the historian of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So in the meantime, before we get into that, the Ebbets Field model, my wife had said to me, well, why don't you try other museums? So I'm mean, sorry, the Yankee Stadium model. Why don't you try other museums? So that's where the Babe Ruth Museum came into play. Yeah. So let me let me stop and pick up that part of the story. So for folks who may not realize this, Brad, back in the spring, did an appearance on our show. He did another talk show. And then he did a long appearance on News 12 with Doug Gee, yes. um, which was an update of a story from 30 years earlier that yes. Doug had done on you. Um, and then after all that was done, then you got the word from the Hall of Fame that right. they weren't taking the right. piece. A day after the piece aired. Yeah. So um, it kind of left you in scramble mode. Yes. And this is where the museum down in Baltimore came in. Why yes. don't you pick up the story? There? Yes. The museum was very receptive. I had sent them some pictures. I sent them a little background, the story. And uh, again, thanks to my wife. She's the one who uh, to, uh, uh, got me to contact them. And so I did. They were receptive. And in April, I delivered the model to the museum. And it was stored in the archive room until today. Now it is part of the American Hercules Gallery in the museum, and it's a permanent fixture. Let's take a look at that picture, Michael. If you could put on the picture of the Yankee Stadium model, which is now displayed, folks, at the Babe Ruth Historical Museum in beautiful downtown Baltimore in the uh, Waterfront District. What do they call that? Yeah, the, the Inner Harbor. Inner Harbor yeah. District. Exactly. Yes. So there you see it. That is Brad's beautiful Yankee Stadium two scale piece. It is now on this permanent display permanent. in the Babe Ruth Museum. Yes. Brad, I wanted to ask you with uh, the current state of stadiums in baseball and, uh, you know, almost everyone now having at least with the exception, obviously, of the Cubs and the Red Sox and somewhat debatable with the Yankees um, having built new stadiums. Is there something now that would pique your interest in perhaps doing another uh, model for in, in the current day stadiums? In the current day stadiums? Take, take, take City Field out of the I equation. would have to think about that. Um, if I were to do one current day stadium, it would have to be Oriole Park and Camden Yards. It's one of the it, – it, it's beautiful. It's, it's very well done, very well conceived. Uh, it's just a great place to watch a game. It's amazing because that was the first of the yes. kind of new breed of ballpark that started this whole new trend. Yes. And uh, you hit it right on the head. Anything you, you read about it, anything you see, I've been there myself a couple of times. Um, it really captures the essence of these older ballparks, but in, in a great way. It really does. And it has sort of the interior has sort of the design of Ebbets Field, only the stands don't go quite out quite far out to center field but it's the same it's basically the same shape and the same design fantastic yeah uh, we had a comment brad from a facebook user jessica she wants to know is the display at the babe ruth museum permanent yes. or can you see it at some point in the future being displayed somewhere else no it is permanently permanently located at the babe ruth museum and birthplace in baltimore great Great. Um, so that's that's fantastic. This one that we see here in front of us, um, our viewer, John Reynolds, says he loves the stadium in Baltimore. I guess he's talking about Camden Yards. Um, but 
uh, John, when you get down to Baltimore, make sure you visit the Babe Ruth Museum and see Brad's model there. In terms of this one, Brad, when is the uh, when is this one leaving for the coast? And um, how did it come about the whole situation with the Los Angeles Dodgers? Well, that situation, as I started to uh, allude to earlier in the Facebook group, the Brooklyn Dodgers Nostalgia Society, um, the uh, the historian of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, Mark Langill, saw my post, contacted me, and he said, I have the perfect place for this model. What great timing. So from there, he put me in touch with Emily Walthouse, who is the assistant to Janet Marie Smith, who um, she's she's the she is the guru, if you will, who has done all of these renovations to Fenway Park when she was working for the Red Sox. She's the one who basically designed and built Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And she's in charge of what they call the new front door at uh, Dodger Stadium, uh, which is which is in the outfield. That's where all of the all of the um, the exciting new renovations are being done, including a museum, which in the museum, this model will be part of a display depicting the transition from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. And in that display, as far as I know, uh, there will be a home play from Los Angeles Coliseum. There will be the original architectural model of Dodger Stadium before it was built. And uh, I believe there will be an Ebbets Field artifact as well. That's great. So, so yeah, this is going to take place hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the the art shipping company is coming to my home to pack it up and send it out to Los Angeles. Oh, that's fantastic yeah. that they're going to do that. You know, and, and it's funny, Brad, because, listen, we don't want to put anybody down. I think that the Yankees missed a big opportunity to take the – your Yankee Stadium model and display it there. I think the Mets missed an opportunity Absolutely. to display this one, considering Fred Wilpon's fascination with Ebbets Field, designing City Field after Ebbets Field, the Jackie Robinson Rotunda. Yeah. I mean, this thing belongs in City Field. They missed yeah. an opportunity, as did the folks up in Cooperstown. And I did contact the Mets organization as well, but I never heard back from them. I don't know if maybe the email got lost somewhere or it just They're too get busy on right Twitter yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah well, it was we'll in get, Zach's we'll get to car. that in, was, in a minute with Chris. It was in Zach Scott, <laughs> Scott's car when he got pulled over Ooh, at four in the morning uh -oh. for DWI. Oh, hello. Wait a minute. I wasn't going there, but <laughs> that's the okay. The Yankees, I just don't understand. They don't seem to. For, for the organization that they are, and you know, I'm a fan. I've I've been a Yankees fan since 1967. As have I. I. Will be. They just don't seem to connect with their history as much as you would like them to. Yeah, it's a shame. You know, they they tout all the championships and blah 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 and the retired numbers. They don't put those pennants on the facade at Old Timers Day anymore like they used to. Like my Yankee Stadium model has all of the pennants that they won. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so let's dig into some of the details on this, Brad, okay. um, in terms of exactly what it's made of and how exactly was it constructed. Give us the nuts and bolts and take us behind. All right. Uh, this model took 22 months to build. Um, it is made of mostly balsa wood. There are some plastic pieces in it. There's a plastic brick face in the, uh, the entrance rotunda. Um, and the rest of it, is basically the same material that I used for my Yankee Stadium model, including um, for the for the lights. You have uh, craft beads. There's there's about 800 craft beads that can that make up the lights. Um, 
the um, the foul ball screen and the and the screens uh, f- uh, behind the uh, you know behind the right field wall and also oh there you go look the, at that camera work too by yes, Michael that, I, I'm telling you this is a pro they they are made from they are made from uh, pieces of my niece's wedding veil wow are you yeah. serious I'm I'm dead serious wow yeah. amazing um, the uh, the field is made of model railroading material uh, again most of it is uh, it's it's music wire paper clips staples uh whatever i could get my hands on to to create recreate these details like the fences um all of the all of the advertisements in the scoreboard hand painted That's, schaefer or is it Rheingold? it's schaefer schaefer with the h and the e that uh, that depict a hidden and error yes yeah wow. my, my, my mom they don't light up <laughs> Um, so, Brad, I'm hoping you're going to stay with us a few minutes. Uh, by the way, congratulations on not just the Yankee uh, Stadium model being dedicated just today. Uh, you and your lovely wife, Linda, were at the Yankee game last night. Yes. You were at the museum for the dedication ceremony yes. today. Brad drove up here today and it was kind enough uh, to give us uh, a few minutes. So, Mike, we want to. It's a great segue because you know talking about the the yankees currently uh as we are in production at the moment playing baltimore it's two nothing yanks as we get to the uh bottom of the fifth so to my two yankee fans right here um you know of course one of the things that kind of jumped out at me and and of course we're going to talk in detail about the yankees but um I always come back to starting pitching. You know, today we have Jordan Montgomery, who's who's doing a good job. The last time when he pitched against the Mets, he looked like a shell of himself. Um, you know, as as we get to Jameson Tyon and and uh, Cortez, last who is is coming back. Where does the Yankees rotation figure in? Obviously, with hopefully when they get to the playoffs with a shorter series, or can can we can we rely on them now? And where does Chapman and our bullpen? for these New York Yankees. How do you feel about them going forward? Well, let's talk pitching first, then we'll go to hitting. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's it's really good questions, Mike. Uh, the rotation, listen, it's it's been banged up. Um, Tyone was great in the middle of the season. Then he was really shaky, and I had a feeling there was an issue with him. So I'm hoping when he gets back off the IL, he'll be better. Cole, I mean, Cole's been a little bit mysterious. As soon as all the... Business with sticky stuff started. His record started going down. And then he's had some outings where he looks very much like that $320 million ace. Montgomery, as Brad and I talked about off the air, He's been um, pitched in a lot of hard luck this he year. Gets no run support. No, whatsoever. no run support whatsoever. And Cortez, Mike, is the guy I think is really um, going to be a valuable valuable piece because brad saw him start last night he was terrific 11 strikeouts he was terrific yeah and 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 the thing the thing is to me he can play uh, a number of different roles right um you've got kluber who was hurt for three months what i was telling brad what i would do i would make um cortez the caddy okay for kluber right if kluber gets blown out in the second inning guess what kluber you're out of here you're out of here. Um, Cortez will come in, and if it's three innings, if it's five innings, whatever it is, that's what we'll do. Yeah. So uh, we need to see big things about the rotation. Brad, I'll let you uh, take over the bullpen. Yeah, um, the bullpen. I'm 
they they were a strong suit. I don't know what's happening to them now. Chad Green is a shell of himself. He keeps giving up home runs. Uh, Chapman, I don't know what's happening with him. Last night he looked pretty good, but I think he forgot how to throw a fastball, and he's relying on this slider too much, and he's getting hurt. Uh, I just don't know where this bullpen is going. Yeah, you know, it's funny, um, Brad, because last time uh, we were on, I made a reference to wanting Jonathan Loisaga to be the closer. Yeah. That night or the next day, Jonathan Loisaga gets put on the IL. So um, it's been a big loss. And we're having to rely on guys like Lucas Lidke, Albert Abreu, Wandy Peralta. I mean, Joely Rodriguez. Mike, who are these guys? Well, it's, exactly. it, it's and it's really though a testament to their production that they've been able to keep the Yankees where they are. We had a question here from uh, from one of our viewers, Lenny Fishman, uh, about the Yankees' chances here finishing up with. Uh, Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto, Toronto here, you know, has come out of nowhere, literally uh, yeah, being the tough. strongest team in baseball with, yeah. with pitching. And not that they didn't have that in them, but they, they really are obviously peaking at the right time. Um, blessing or a curse here, guys, with that schedule going down to the wire. Uh, and it's, and, it's and really I guess if you can answer say. this question, we'd, we'd put all the money we could, it's, right? It's really hard to say. I don't see, I don't see the Yankees, uh, Getting the first wild card, I see them sneaking into the second. Okay, but then that's a one-game playoff, and um, I don't know. I, I, I yeah, because it really hasn't been. Do. I guess for quite a while, it really hasn't been about uh, the division for the Yankees with Tampa yeah. Bay being so no, far. No, Tampa out front. is just too good. They're yeah. not. What the Yankees are not winning the division, and I hate to say that, but it's. I believe uh, that that they're yeah, not, you know they're not going anywhere in the division. To going back to uh, to Lenny's question, you know, I, I think it's. <laughs> I think it's good uh, to have teams obviously you're familiar with going down the stretch here, having played Boston and, and Tampa and and Toronto. However, you know you think of Boston, you know somewhere still in the mix. Uh, Tampa is going to be in an interesting situation. Are they resting players? Are they not? Toronto is going full force, so it's not like uh, you're going to be you know playing teams that are out of it. Yeah. Uh, this is I'm assuming this is probably although I'm not really in tune with the Yankee schedule, but I'm figuring this is their last go around with Baltimore. It is. Okay. Um, today's their last game with Baltimore. Unbelievably, Brad, they've lost seven games to the Orioles. I know. I know. How did that happen? That's... They've got Cleveland and Texas next, so they have to make some hay against those teams. Getting back to the point you made earlier about having to play that one game playoff on the road, I honestly don't think that's a terrible thing. The Yankees lately have been better away from Yankee Stadium. I can't even believe I'm saying that <laughs> than they are at Yankee Stadium. So, yeah. I mean, to me, Mike and Brad, as long as they have Cole ready to go and loaded for that one game playoff, oh, he's the man in a one game playoff. I think sure. they're going to be in good shape. Um, if they have to use him against Tampa, let's say, in order to get into that one game playoff, then you're going to be really in trouble. Yeah. If they have him, even if it's on the road, Mike, I think they'll be fine. And Cole, I mean, there is absolutely no. Chance for error. He has to step up and be the $300 man that they paid him to be. Quick little segue now to the hitting. Breaking news, Joey Gallo has just cracked 200. He's over 200. I I still don't believe With his 35th home run of the year. Okay, Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. What's the score now? Uh, They're still 2-0. Still 2-0. He put them on the board. Okay. 73 RBI. So, you know, 
again, you could talk about that pickup. But another question that, that came to us here, um, which, of course, is linked to the hitting. Uh, should the Yankees, and, and it's not good for anybody, uh, should they not make the playoffs? Selfishly, as a Met fan, all right, I don't come from the school that the, the Yankees are are the enemy so much in that now putting on my spot on sports hat, if we could have everybody in the playoffs, that's going to help our, our our squad right here. But um, should the Yankees not make the playoffs? Aaron Boone, yay or nay? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Our, our friend Ray, uh, our viewer Ray and our buddy uh, just asked. So I'll let you take that one, uh, Brad. If they don't make a, at least a one-game playoff, do you want Aaron Boone out of here? Yes and no. I mean, I don't know. Come on, Brad, these, give us a yes or no. I don't know if he makes all of these moves on his own. I think there's a lot of analytics involved. I think there's a lot of the front office involved. And I, I really hate to say this, but I, I do think that he's somewhat of a puppet. Okay. I, I really hate to say that, but that's 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 the way I feel. One more thing I want to ask you about, Brad, and I can't believe they finally got to this so late in the season. And it was the move to finally move Glaber Torres off shortstop, and then they put him at second. He stinks there too. I know, I know. He's it, it's in his head right now. He's 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 overdue for a change, and I think he should have been moved a while back. But to do it with 15, 20 games left in the yeah. season, does that even make sense? Not really. Not really. You're it, shifting everybody around. You think there's something behind the scenes uh, that we don't know that precipitated that move at this point? Because yeah. it really doesn't. I mean, analytics, uh, as you mentioned, I think everybody manages and, and uh, puts their teams together with way too much analytical information as it is. To make a move like that goes against every type of analytics you would think. Yeah. Although, you know, that that's above my pay grade, I would think. But, yeah, why are we moving somebody at that point? Yeah, I just – I think that they've been trying so hard, Mike, to hammer a square peg into a round hole, and they finally had to come to the realization, guess what? Gleyber Torres is not a shortstop. I said that a year ago. Um, so – I mean, we listen. have a shortstop in Queens that might. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, thank you. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. On. Uh, let's see. We've got some good comments coming in. Keep Brian, those coming. Brian Cashman, the puppet master, says John Reynolds. <laughs> and Lenny says he wants rid of. Uh, well, he wants rid of Cashman too. Well, listen. I, I've known Lenny since since I was a is young. Is he a Met fan? He, he is not. He, okay. He, I have known Lenny for since I was a young kid. And if one thing I can tell you about him, knowledgeable and passionate. Now he has he's been obviously knowledgeable the Yankees in their success for a while. Do you think Yankee fans are almost at the point, almost like we might be inferring here that that uh, some type of fresh air from from the top down might be needed? I mean, Maybe. can you get so Jaded might be the wrong word, but, you know, it's an expectation and rightly so that the Yankees are a player every year and they should be. Even if they get in, you know, to the playoffs, is that not good enough anymore? I don't know. You know, the, 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 call, Yankees right? have, the Yankees have always been expected to go to the World Series every year by, you know, by fans, by by the organization, Ownership, by themselves. Yeah. And um it's it, it's a high bar to set. It really is uh, for any team, but um, you know, for them, it was it was a rite of passage. It was it was expected, and I just don't know. I it may be time for a, for a, 
for a change. Yeah, they've been so incredibly streaky. It's been a roller coaster ride this year, Brad. Yeah, between the those... thirty-five and eleven stretch, and yeah. now uh, the two and eleven stretch. I mean, it's been all it's, year. It's all been so been streaky. streaky. It's been a roller coaster ride for them. Chapman's been a roller coaster ride, as you referenced. I mean, um, it's been a roller coaster ride for you. First, yeah. getting a yes from the Hall of Fame, then yeah. getting a no, getting a yes from the. Yeah. Uh, Babe Ruth Museum, now getting a yes from the Dodgers. So there are some parallels well, look there. How, but. Look how everything has worked out, right? We Disappointing, but now I believe, and I think we've alluded to this, that your models are in the right places Absolutely. Uh, to really, truly be enjoyed. And mm -hmm. and along that front, I, I have a feel. I think that it's going to work out for the Yankees. Um, one game playoff or not, they'll, they'll be making a little bit of noise. Are they good enough to make the, the World Series in a push? Probably not. But I, I don't think we're going to be back here in a couple of weeks talking about Aaron Boone gone or what's Cashman's scenario. I, hopefully, again, uh, as, a, as, as the other side of the coin here, uh, coming from the Queen side, um, I do hope that they, they make it, and I think they will. Yeah. But in the meantime, Brad Merrilla, we want to thank you so thank much you so for much, being Brad. our guest. Um, congratulations again on the Babe Ruth, uh, on the Yankee Stadium model being displayed uh, at the Babe Ruth Birthplace Museum down in uh, the Inner Harbor area of yeah. Baltimore. Congratulations on this fabulous um, Ebbets Field model. Uh, being shipped out to California and being displayed by the Dodgers. We thank you so much for being our guest, and thank it was great to have you and speak thank with you. you. I really appreciate it, and um, hopefully we'll have uh, something else to talk about in the future. Absolutely. That would be fantastic. Uh, we've still got Giants, Jets, Mets with Chris Caputo to get to. We're going to get to all of it, folks, right after a quick break here on Spot on Sports. Hi, my name is Dave Crow proprietor of Belfast Gastro Pub in beautiful downtown Lindenhurst. We are the heartbeat of the village, serving exceptional dishes throughout the day, created by our executive chef, James Tomlinson. Whether it's to dine in our purpose-built outdoor dining area that seats 60 persons, or to enjoy a pint or a cocktail at our 40-foot mahogany bar, we also have a private catering room that can accommodate up to 60 guests. Love stories begin at Belfast. Now back to Spot On Sports with Mike Trezza and Mike Godone. Attention all piano owners. Do you have an acoustic piano that's in need of a tuning, repair, or just a little TLC? Call Brad. Brad performs standard tuning, maintenance, cleaning, and repair work on your piano. Call Blues Man Piano Tuning, 631-681-9723. That's 631-681-9723. Or visit him on the web at www.bluesmanpianotuning.com. That's www.bluesmanpianotuning.com. Or email bluesmanpianotuning at gmail.com.
Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Spot on Sports. Mike Trezza, along with the coach, Mike Gadone. Uh, it was great to have Brad here. And also, folks, we have to mention to you, even though we just played his commercial, if you have a piano, you need a tune. Brad is your guy. He's remarkably talented in a number of different areas. Model making and music is really his thing. So give him a call, 681-9723. 631 area code blues man piano tuning right now folks we're going to talk some new york mets and to help us do that a member of the seven line army and our very own venerable mets reporter chris caputo hey chris how are you tonight okay thanks for the intro yeah, it's good to talk to you. So I just want to see what's in your hand, Chris. Is there any type of <laughs> white towel, white hanky waving? Ooh. Oh, there it is. That's the, the Met white towel. Are you throwing <laughs> it in, Chris? That's what I want to know. Are they done? Yeah, D-O-N-E, done. Wow, you heard it, folks. From- I never thought I would hear that coming out of your mouth, Chris. But listen, you know, we chatted last night because Chris was at the game Um don't know whether I should bring that up or not because, you know, seeing it in person has got to be well, well worse than watching it on TV as I was. But, uh, yeah, you just I'm sure you just got a sense. Was there a sense at the ballpark, Chris, that uh, that, you know, the, the wind is out of the sails? Um, let's just put it this way. The, the crowd was way less than what you would have expected. You know, the, some people had off the next day and maybe, you know, people are home with their holiday or whatever. But. Uh, the section that we were sat in, they sold out the night that Pete Alonso won the home run derby. It was it was dead in there. There was nobody there, and you win Monday and Tuesday night, and instead of the Mets going into the game seventy two and seventy four, you're seventy four and seventy two. Probably uh, maybe a game and a half out. Things are a little bit different, a little bit of hype. It's almost like Sunday night against your Yankees never happened. It was like a mirage, you know that whole thing. It was a facade. It was a dream. Uh, the Mets were just hung over. Um, I mean, I can complain about how many Sunday night games the Mets have to play on ESPN. They're on again this week. They had to go cross country after playing the Dodgers. They had to go play the Giants. I think that needs to change. Um, but for the most part, uh, they're not hitting. And when they're pitching, they're not hitting. And when they're hitting, they're not pitching. And um, it's just you can't sit there and really talk about playoffs when your team is three games under 500. Yeah, Chris, I think you made a, a really terrific point about the emotion coming away from the Yankee series. Not only were those last two games real seesaw battles, but between that and all the 9-11 stuff and the little dust up between Lindor and, and Baez uh, against Stanton, I mean, that series was really emotionally charged and then you get against the cardinals a team you really need to compete with for a wild card and they lay an egg for three games yeah i mean there was a lot in that yankees series and you know trevor may not giving up a home run on saturday night and they probably sweep that series um luis rojas made very questionable decisions we could talk about him later but um they really blew it you know and and having that situation where you get bias to hit a home run to tie it in the bottom of the ninth inning as bad as you play you get yourself to a 10th inning and you have first and third and one out and the guy who hit three home runs is now grounding into a strange double play 
Chris, you, you alluded to uh, Luis Rojas and some of the interest, interesting, I'll, I'll say that, uh, moves that he's made. Uh, our, our, our fan again, John Reynolds, he, he said Luis must go. Um, <laughs> how much How much do you think he really is to blame, um, you know, from, from the managerial standpoint? Or is it just that he can try to push as many buttons as possible and he's just not going to find the right combinations this year? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we, we talk a lot about Rojas and kind of how he fell into this role and, and whether or not he's the man for it. He's been around this team, but I just think as the season has gone on more and more, forget the 60 games last year. Let's talk about this year. Maybe his hands are tied at times, but he is an iPad. He's He has no feel, no pulse for the game. You got a guy that goes out there one time in Lugo, throws seven pitches, and the next inning you're putting in a new guy and you're saying that's because he's my eighth inning guy. Then you got Luke goes out there, throws seven pitches, and the next inning you got to put in a reliever. And even his answers after the game just show he has no pulse. Let's think about this. The other night, to me, season on the line, you obviously have a bad situation. You don't score in the 10th or 9th, 10th inning. You Mm -hmm. go to the 11th inning and you give up three runs. First off, why do you have a guy in who hasn't pitched in a month in a tough situation? You're asked about Lugo. You said he didn't pitch the day before, but he's not coming back quick and we put, couldn't put him in a game. Okay, well, what about this guy? Well, he he really wasn't available either. So why did you go to him instead of Trevor Williams, who Trevor Williams actually got him out of a jam later that inning? Well, we thought his right hand. Are you kidding me? A sidearm right-hander who hasn't pitched in a month was going to – so they ask him, are you playing this like your season is on the line? And his answers are, the games in April and May count the same as the games in September. You have no feel for the game. I'm sorry. Yeah, then that's, you're, you're, that's, that's just toned up. One, one more thing, guys. Then they come back. They make it 7-6. He's got a pinch hit for the pitcher. There's a lefty on the mound. Are you going Albert Almora with a big fat zero RBIs or Luis Guillorme? I'm not going Guillorme because I don't want to go lefty-lefty. Five minutes later, Albert Amora uh, sent down to the minors so we can bring up Jose Peraza. The guy has no feel for the game. It's horrible. Yeah, I want to ask you, Chris. I'm sorry, Mike. No. Um, I want to ask you about um, we've got news, it seems, in the last couple days or so that Sandy is going to be back running the show next year, but only from a financial standpoint. And what I, the question I keep asking myself, maybe you can help me clarify it, is how do we separate, Chris, the financial dimension of it from the baseball dimension of it? I mean, when you decide who gets paid what, who gets what contract for what length of time, aren't those financial and baseball decisions? I agree, uh, Trez, and, and you're right on. And, you know, his son is now taking a higher role in this organization now that some guys are waiting to go back to court to deal with their issues. Um, it's it's bad. And, you know, we've talked about this before. You need to clean house. Now, if you're going to clean house, who's going to make the baseball decisions or who's going to make the hiring decisions about the people who are going to do the baseball stuff? Um, you know, we can make the whole list about why why did we draft a guy who has arm problems and and then not sign him? Why did we get two guys in here as GMs and then find out all these things about them? Why did we not do our background on Lindor and what his issues were? And there's just so many things that they've failed on. And I think Alderson is just getting too many shots. It's time to move on. I know you guys would ask who it would be. You know, I'm really 
Everybody likes Theo. I, I just I don't want to deal with the clashing of Theo and Steve Cohen. Yeah, Chris, <laughs> you you must have read my mind because we were off air today. We were chatting about uh, a story from the New York Post, I believe, uh, talking about the somewhat of the dysfunction already with Steve Cohen and and, and how things are going. Uh, we have a, we have a question coming up here in just a second about. Uh, Perhaps some some uh, older Mets coming back, some '86 Mets coming back to manage. But before that, Chris, um, I know he's probably trying to generate some buzz and whatever else. But Steve Cohen's constant social media presence and and uh, I'm not even going to get into the specifics of what he talks about. Do you think that ultimately down the line that could be something that would scare off uh, you know great talent, whether it be in, in the boardroom, on the field, or is it just part of the new breed of, of person, owner, uh, media that we have these days? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm going to talk on the field. One of okay. two things is going to happen. You brought up the 86 Mets. The 86 Mets were the social media before there was social media. They were crazy, <laughs> right? right? Yes. Who knows how much the bill was for that airplane on the way home from Houston? Could have been 10 grand. It could have been 100 grand. But Davey Johnson went in and said, I don't care what you guys do. We're ripping this bill up. We're going to win the World Series, and they'll make money off of it. The guys were crazy. The stories, watch the documentary, absolutely hysterical, good stuff. But I think about them now. And there, this love affair with, for Steve Cohen with social media, I think it is hard to bring in quality people when your billionaire is airing his laundry out on Twitter. I think yeah, it's, really, really it's gotten really silly, Chris. And John Wepler, an old buddy of mine, John, thanks for tuning in and commenting. He asked specifically about Wally Backman. I don't know if he's asking that question in a serious way. But would you, Chris Caputo, give any consideration to bringing Wally on board uh, to replace Luis if Luis goes? You know, I just went out to a Ducks game and saw Wally, and he just looks <laughs> miserable out there. I mean, he just it's its really tough. But think about this, guys. Fly slips are off place, Chris. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we spent Spenway IT references there. We'll get to someday. Oh, gosh. Oh, I mean, my let's, let's just put Wally, Wally Backman's name in with a search engine, and he's probably not the guy the Mets need to be hiring right now. Think about all the troubles he had. He had—he wasn't going to be the Diamondbacks. He was with the Ducks. We found out there was a possibility he had a situation with a female. You, you can't do it now. No, here's the other no. thing. And that's—it's such a shame because he really did have have, and he—he he, his personality kind of fire. He—he'd be the perfect type of manager, I think, that the team needs. But yeah, unfortunately, good old Wally. Uh, while while we love him, I, I think his his at least major league. Uh, career as a manager is, is probably passed by. But I think it's hard. I mean, let's say Rojas is gone. It is hard to think about who the next Mets manager would be because how much the Mets are going to do their due diligence, hopefully in hiring somebody, but how much of a second chance are they going to give somebody, somebody who had some type of checkered past, something you, I, I like to give people second chances. Like you saw that um, one of the things out there they're saying is be. And again, this is from a source. So if you want to go search Twitter to see who this source person <laughs> is, and this? <laughs> it's crazy. But because of the upheaval in, in the front office, Sandy Alderson supposedly, according to a source, wants to keep Rojas, whereas Cohen seemed to have liked Beltran when he was first hired. Could you give a guy like Beltran a so-called first chance when he never even got his first chance last time? I think they probably would have to go get a really clean guy who hasn't had 
something negative on his uh, on his well, resume. And I agree with you from the Mets standpoint because has has there been anybody in the in the, in the front office? Obviously, you know, GM, uh, interim GM, the situation with uh, with Beltran uh, before Mickey Callaway. Come on, Mickey. Cal I was just going to say that. I mean, it's just been one thing after another after another. And especially with a new owner. Um, that's why, you know, having having him come in here and uh, getting on the players. I was all for that. I said, you know what? That I, listen. I'm not about dressing guys down, but I think that was that was great shows interest when you're worried about, you know, New York Post articles or what's going on on Twitter. I don't know. I, you know, I really I'm getting a little nervous with this. I don't want to, but um, I don't want it to become a circus. But, yeah, it's going to be it's squeaky clean is going to have to be the next met manager and or general manager. And I think with the owner, it's going to go one way or the other. Things are going to get really good because he's going to be really hands-on and people are going to want to play for him because of his money and his dedication, or he's going to turn people off and it's going to go the opposite way and they're going to be searching for guys from AAA. So, Chris, just uh, real quickly on the on the front of players. Yes. Um, Javi Baez, do you bring him back? Do you think about bringing him back? Marcus Stroman, do you overpay for him? Uh, I think if you're bringing Baez back, it's not 100% for his, it's his bat. It's for his connection with Lindor, and I don't think that's the right move. I think there's other guys out there. You'd have to put him at second base. Um, he's probably going to ask a lot of money. If he'll come here for the cheap, uh, I, I think it's a possibility. But uh, unfortunately, Lindor, I'm sorry, but we got to get rid of some people who are a little bit of a cancer. Now, I love Baez on the field. I love the hustle. I think he's got great smarts. Um, and maybe you do bring him back at a, at a lighter price. Um, that's going to be tough. Uh, honestly, guys, you, you can pick on Stroman all you want. He's 9-12. and 12. He's got the most starts in the major leagues. He's going out there. If you look at his run support uh, or his record when the Mets score three or more runs, he's basically on undefeated. He's not a bad pitcher. Um, no, he's done, ex he's done exactly what he needed to do this year. And for a guy who did not pitch at all last year, you know, he did great. Now we can have the controversy. Should he have come out after six innings the other night when there's 17 games left in the season? You know, that that could be debated. But you know, go go down to Mets lineup and, and look at the guys who have started games from them, from the Robert Stocks to, you know, it's it's no good. And you expected to see at some point Syndergaard. You didn't expect 15 starts and a one point, uh, what, 05 ERA from DeGrom and then gone. Um, Walker gave you half a season basically, and then he fell apart. And now we're trying to throw Rich Hill in, and we thought we'd get something out of Carrasco. Now I'm going to say this one more time. I'm going on Saturday nights. Carrasco, Carrasco, Carrasco against Nola. Can we throw Aaron Loop for the first inning and oh then put Carrasco in the second inning? He has a 15 ERA in the first inning. And wow. After that. How, how is that humanly possible for a major league pitcher? Just Don't not get that just, late, Chris. Not ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get there late. The, the one thing I do want to ask you before we let you go, Chris, can you do me a huge favor and put a slapping around on Boston in the middle of next week for me, okay? I think the matchups are in our favor right now. we got Stroman against the Hauk guy and McGill against Pavetta. I think that they're in our favors. The seven line is actually going to be 1,500 strong at one of the games. Um, but I think – the Mets are unfortunately probably going to be spoilers. Now, today, I know this kind of sounds strange. If you want to say the Mets are in it, they're four back in the win column, but seven back in the loss column. So, obviously, the Braves have more games to play. Braves got rained out today. I believe that game is still TBA, which means that even if the Mets think they're possibly in it, 
if they're three and a half out going into the, uh, the, the the series, the Braves might have to play the day after the season ends against the Rockies. Who do you think the Rockies are going to care that day? You think the Rockies are going to fly in? With, no. So the Mets are probably in a bad spot. If they think they're going to try and get back in this, they're in a tough spot. Now, here's the thing. If you really think the Mets are going to get back in it, I've kind of done the math. The Mets have to go 14 and one the rest of the way. Wow. Nah, that's not happening, Chris. That's the you know, uh, only. Sure done. You gave you well, waved the towel. Thank you I'm for just, doing the math. <laughs> because that would that would put them at uh, 85 wins, and and the Braves would then win go like whatever nine and whatever. It just the thing is they do control some of their own destiny. They have six games against the Phillies and uh, the Braves. So if they could sweep the Phillies, you know maybe we talk. But they're not going to get the wild card. You you were right before, Trez. If they would have taken two out of three and possibly swept the Cardinals. They would have been right back in the thick of things. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, we got to run. We still got to get to Jets and Giants, but we thank you. Great job as always, and we'll probably talk to you in a couple weeks, okay? Awesome, guys. Enjoy Chris, that game. Yeah, enjoy the games and uh, and keep in touch via text, and, and I'll try to talk you down if it's 6 uh, nothing after Carrasco's first inning. So, Mike, somebody's got to get the short shrift tonight. Ooh. It looks like it's going to be J-E-T-S, <laughs> Jets, Jets, Jets. But we do have to dig into them for a few right. minutes. Well, listen, you know what? Um, Jet fans, and it's a shame because we, we had a couple on before, but I'd like to, to hear their feedback. You know, every first half of the first game with a new quarterback, especially a rookie, and and with some injuries, is it, not going to look pretty. So they got down. They fought to, came, to come back. Uh you know, I, I was not disappointed at all uh, in Zach Wilson. I thought he, he strong, took a huge couple of hits, got up. Everything I read today about him was that his teammates were very impressed about his toughness, that he has the goods. Um, you know, you, you're going to feel, I, I would think, pretty good about them. You get Keelan Cole back. He didn't play. Um, and, and, and now, you know, Oh, um, trying to think who else, somebody else is coming off the injured list as well, the, the COVID list. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you're going to have, oh, Crowder, I'm sorry. So yes. Crowder, they're their number one receiver the last couple yes. of years. So, Jameson Crowder. Yeah, they're, they're gaining, they lost Mackay Becton. Yes. Uh, big injury. And Vera Tucker. So yes. the whole left side of that line is gone. That, so that, that's a, that's a big one. So yes. where do you go from that? Can you keep your expectations? Um, listen, toughness, they stayed in the game. Uh, they they didn't fall apart. We're going to talk about the Giants here in just a second. Little little different dynamic, um, but one game in, uh, nothing. I, I really feel to panic, push the panic button about the Jets. Yeah, you know, listen. Everybody wants to zero in on on Zach Wilson. Twenty for thirty seven, two hundred and fifty yard, uh, two hundred and fifty eight yards, one touchdown, one interception. Now again, this is an NFL debut. That's not bad to me. No, um, the Jets had some good. Offensive performances by the receivers. Yeah, Corey Davis. Corey Davis, five catches, 97 yards, and two TDs. That, that's your big guy right there who you brought in. And what did he do? He performed. Absolutely. So, listen, you know, uh, being a New York Met fan who we bring in every free agent and they do nothing, as, as a Jet fan, if I was one, uh, I would be very excited about that. That's production. Yeah, absolutely. Braxton Berrios, five catches, 51 yards. Marty Lyons told me last week he wanted to see more from the tight end Croft. Croft had three catches, 26 yards. And Denzel Mims, who I've been looking for more from, had just one catch, but it was for 40 yards. So um, ball was spread, at least. Absolutely. But the, the, the running game, Mike, was 
a little anemic in that game. I mean, really, um, you know, your your main rusher was Coleman, who had 24 rushing yards. So that's not going to get it done. They need a little bit more balance, as as clearly do the Giants. Um, on the Carolina side, Sam Darnold, he got his measure of revenge against the Jets. 279. One TD, two Robbie Anderson, former Jet, 24 <laughs> well, sure for 35. Yep. Um, That's and, what Sam Darnold is programmed to do. And absolutely, if you watch that play, Mike, um, if you saw it live or on the highlights, you saw Robbie Anderson absolutely smoked both guys that were trying to cover him. It was, <laughs> I think he's still running. Yeah, it was a little bit embarrassing. Christian McCaffrey, who, let's be honest, Mike, is one of the real true studs in the NFL. Nine receptions for 89 yards, 21 carries for 98 yards. That's 187 all-purpose yards from scrimmage. 30 touches, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, so, you know, the Jets don't have a Christian McCaffrey. Not a lot of teams have a Christian McCaffrey. So, I mean, I think he made a big difference in that game. But, listen, we don't want to zero in on, on, on Sam Donald, but if you're Sam, you got to feel good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, look at look at the talent level that he left and has gone to uh, in Carolina, at least with just a running back in McCaffrey, who was also a pass catcher who just takes pressure off. Uh, we just had a comment from from my friend Steve from way back in the day that the Jets need to run the rock to get the play action going. Absolutely. There's if no you question. can't establish the run. You know, and, and your your left side of your offensive line is tough, and you, you're trying to meld with receivers. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a long day. Some of these games necessitate getting away from the run if you get down a little bit early, but they weren't so far out of the game that uh, I think it was that difficult to establish a running game. Yeah, and if you look who's coaching against the Jets this week. Oh, yes. I mean, the evil genius himself. <laughs> he's going to come up with a game plan, Mike, to give a rookie quarterback a hard time against New England. Yeah. If, if, is there any other coach that you would fear as much as you would Bill Belichick going up against a rookie? I mean, he, he gives he gives veterans a fit, you know, from week to week. Absolutely. So um, and, and plus the Patriots are coming off a one point loss against Miami. So, you know, Belichick's not going to be in a good mood no. and he's going to be looking to take it out on uh, young Mr. Wilson in that game. So let's let's shift gears for just a couple minutes, Mike, and react to the Giants game on Sunday. And then what we can do is we can preview the Giants game tonight. Obviously, an 820 game down in Washington against the football team. Um, so Giants last week, Daniel Jones, 22 for 37, 267, one touchdown, but fumble, fumble. So, you know, here's my thing, Mike. I am so tired of people already. I mean, we're one game into the season calling to bench um, oh, Daniel Jones in favor of Mike Lennon. <laughs> oh, it's geez. not like you have a really great backup back there, Mike. You have Mike Lennon. So I'm talking to you, Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan, you know, do me a favor. You're a clown. Is he still around, Rex Shut Ryan? up. I mean, you know, here's Rex trying to call attention himself oh, please. at Daniel Jones's expense. Folks, here's what I can tell you, Giant fans. If you think that the Giants are benching, Daniel Jones, anytime soon for Mike Glennon. Turn your TV off. You are delusional. It's not happening, folks. Am I frustrated with Jones for fumbling on like the 10-yard line in that game? Is Mike Gadone frustrated with him? 
Absolutely. I mean, my goodness, that's the one thing that he was really supposed to work on was fumbling and, and turnovers. I, I don't want to kill him because at least it was an aggressive type play. It wasn't where he he went back and, you know, listen, ball security is important, but he, he was just getting ball stripped out of his hands, you know, in the pocket last year. He's trying to make something happen. Was it the worst time? Yes, absolutely. It was the absolute worst time. But uh, looking at the giant offense, listen, Jason Garrett, to me, is can you get a little creative? Yeah. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, we've heard a lot of that Ooh. conversation really over the last year, and it came to the forefront again reacting off of this past Sunday's loss um, against Denver. Um, Jason Garrett has been knocked for lack of imagination. Right, and I was just going to say, you know, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm sure you're going right on that point as well. Kadarius Tony. now I don't know. You know, again, he 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 didn't come in, lost a lot of training camp, whatever. But this dude is is your top offensive pick here, right? He's a weapon. You hear all these things. We're gonna end arounds. We're gonna you know, options, all sorts of stuff. Was he even on the field? I mean, did they do anything that would have been somewhat creative? Kadarius Tony, you ready Ooh. for this, Mike? Two receptions, about twelve yards. Minus two, <laughs> minus two. Oh, Mike, I, I can I, do that. Put I, me in. Listen, I, 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 didn't I just even, don't want to get tackled. I, I'd get, I'd at least, you know, just get tackled on the line of scrimmage. I could hopefully catch the ball. Minus two, minus two. But, Ooh. but the good news is when you look up and down the stat sheet, Sterling Shepard yes. had a really nice game. Seven for seven catches, 113 yards, and a touchdown. Um, Jones looked terrific on that drive. The problem to me in that game wasn't even Daniel Jones. It wasn't even the lack of production you got out of the running game. It was really the giant defense, Mike. Yes. They could not get um, Denver off the field on third down. They were a step slow trying to catch up with Teddy Bridgewater all day long. They just couldn't get him. And what we started to see in the second half of that game, regrettably, started to remind me of the Giants' Ironically, under Pat Shermer, lack of discipline, guys running around the secondary like chickens yes. with their heads cut off and a lack of discipline in terms of hitting the quarterback late, hitting guys out of bounds. Those are the types of penalties, um, lack of discipline, lack of focus you saw with the Giants under the Shermer re regime. Absolutely. I, I was speaking to a friend of mine after the game, and he said, what were your thoughts? I said, one word kept coming to my mind, regression. They look to just regret, and that, that plays to your point exactly. And even their head coach. Here's Joe Judge making guys run laps, accountability, all those things, right? What does he do? He's so frustrated, he throws a red flag, <laughs> a challenge flag on a play that can't be challenged, loses a timeout, after the game says, I take full accountability. Well, that's good. However, but I was trying to get their attention. Whose attention? Exactly. The refs? So, so they could take a timeout away from you? Listen, coach, coach, take accountability. Say, I messed up. I was upset. I, you know, I threw the challenge flag. But then don't justify it saying I no. needed to get the attention. I mean, come on. It was just like 8 o'clock on, on Sunday night as a Giant fan. You're going, Thursday night, thank goodness, you know, we're not, we don't have to wait any more than four or five days to get this team back out on the field and get the stench out of the uniforms. Yeah. So, you know, to me, 
Yes, it was a disappointing offensive performance when you look at only 13 points. But when you look at the stat sheet again, Slayton, three catches, 65 yards. Your man, Galladay, um, Galladay, four receptions, 64 yards. Looked a little better in the second half. They, they started to get a little rapport, hopefully. Exactly. And again, that's going to take a little time, yes. too, when you talk about Galladay having missed all the training camp, right? So, I mean, there is some good news to take away um from that loss uh is that they moved the ball well throughout most of the first half and even some of the second half um i think what's important to zero in on mike setting up tonight's game yes. is this number one what's the latest on saquon barkley and if you were joe judge would you play saquon tonight the latest I had was that he was going to play and that he they were going to establish him early and often and just take the take the reins off him, so to speak. Um, he's ready to be explosive. And and if he's going to be explosive, now's the time. Now, the Washington defense is not, you know, some JV team that's no. coming in there and is going to say, Oh, Saquon's playing tonight. Well, let, let's yeah. <laughs> let me get out Here of his way. <laughs> yeah, let me Olay defense. You know, that is that that's something else. Uh, you know, hopefully the Giants are in a position with uh, Taylor Heineke starting that he will struggle and they'll get decent field position and set things up. You know, uh, is that going to happen? Let's hope so. Many things have to break properly, but as of, as of the time coming in here, uh, Saquon's ready to go. And if they can establish him early, that'd be a great sign. So if Saquon doesn't play, because honestly, Mike, I'm not sure I would play him tonight. Okay. All right. You're coming off a major, major injury. Um, your performance last week was, Meager would be the kind way of yeah, putting it. He got his Ten carries, wet. 26 yards. Um, but if you don't play him tonight, now you've got 10, 10 days until your next game, and now you, he can really get his feet. I mean, under him, it, there are advantages and disadvantages it's to true. doing it both ways. You know, had the Giants won that game, ifs and buts, it would be a no-brainer that he sits tonight. Um, I, I, I would think this, from a from a logical standpoint – you make great sense. I mean, give him, give him ten days off. Bring him back. Um, you know, this is New York, and and uh, every game. I mean, the NFL every game is important, but uh, people will will jump off the bandwagon very fast. Boy, that's a tough call. Yeah, and, I'm and, glad I'm not in no shoes. Yeah, and if you don't play Barkley, can Devin Booker be the guy who can carry the ball 15, 20 yards? Would you trust him in that role? Whew. I feel like you guys trying to answer the Yankee questions before. <laughs> Would I trust him? You'd have to. I mean, listen, you know, do you trust people? I was thinking about as we were talking about Teddy Bridgewater, you know, and, and him starting and looking tremendous, you know, and he had no rapport with that. He'd never played with those guys. If you're a baller, you're playing, you know, can, can the Giants, is it, you put the guy back there, it's production. Uh, let's hope so. Let's, let's really hope somebody breaks out behind the ball tonight. What are we hearing, Mike, in terms of the status of Evan Engram going into tonight's game? And if he's not playing, is Kyle Rudolph healthy enough to make an impact in this game? Well, I don't have anything, unfortunately, at the moment on Ingram as I'm looking here. Uh, I will say this. I was huge and high on Kyle Rudolph coming in. If you remember a couple of months back when we talked about uh, you know, his impact along with Galladay, I was very, very excited. Huge. I said, you know, this is the kind of guy the Giants need. Um, healthy enough? Let's hope so. Again, you know, I'm using the word hope here quite a lot. Hope, hope, hope. 
keep hope alive. Um, I guess at 7.35, you know, in, in an hour or so, we're going to see what's going on. Um, I, I just want the Giants tonight, whoever's playing, just to be competitive, stay in the game. Um, give us a little hope. Let me ask you really brief as we kind of finish up here. Uh, who did Coming out of Sunday, Jet or Giant fan, who felt better? You know what? I, I think the Jets had to feel good I agree. about um, the performance of – Zach, um, Zach Wilson. Yes. Right. Um, overall, how they felt about the team. I think it's very, very guarded optimism. Giant fans already, you can tell, are feeling a little bit frustrated, a little bit impatient. And again, if it wasn't for that one turnover by Daniel Jones, I think they would have come away, even with a loss, right. with a better feeling. But the fact that Daniel Jones did turn over the ball at such a crucial time, at such a critical place on the field. Uh, Mike, you're getting a good drive going. And, uh, you know, you would have almost felt better if you threw a pick trying to make something happen, right? An interception yeah. rather than the fumble. The one thing you don't want to see out of him that just, it, you could hear the groan in the stadium and look on his face when he got up. He just was like, oh, no, please, not again. It took it took a lot of the wind out of the sails of a giant fan. Um, but I will say, though, that, um, Giants have some problems on the offensive line they need to address pretty quickly. I mean, for me, Mike, I got to be honest with you, I'm tired of looking at, at Nate Solder. I don't want to see him anymore. Nate Solder, get out of here, please. You opted out last year. You know what? Opt out again this year. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, he basically opted out of the first game anyway. <laughs> I mean, come on. Give back your paycheck. You're a turnstile. <laughs> that, um, that, that, that's the ultimate Olay right there. But I will say, the rest of the offensive line, I think, is gelling. And with a little work and a little time, people were down on Andrew Thomas last year. He was a rookie, rookie left tackle. So I think he's growing into his role. I think Hernandez is fine. Giant fans like the center gates. Uh, Lemieux is out tonight, so we'll see what they do in that spot. But listen, the good news is you're playing against Taylor Heineke. Okay, so can the Giants make enough adjustments on the defensive side of the ball, Mike, to put some heat on an athletic but inexperienced quarterback like Heineke. Well, inexperienced, yes, but he did play a playoff game last year that, you know, big time set, set up right there, which uh, you, you, you kind of get your feet wet pretty fast. So um, is he feeling he's probably – jacked up to play. Um, he's a different kind of quarterback, obviously mobile than Fitzpatrick. So they've had a couple of days here at least to, to plan and know that, that that's the type. Um, so the game plan should be in place. It's just a matter of putting it in, in into action. Yeah. So Yanks right now, folks, as we speak ahead two to one down in Baltimore. Oh. Hmm? Top of the seventh, okay. Michael Anthony says. Thank you for updating us, Michael. And um, if the Yanks lose for the eighth time to the lousy, stinking Orioles, Micah Doan, I am going to throw my don't, television out the window. Don't send up the white flag, though. You're, you're not, you're not in, in Metland at the moment. Uh, so, folks, that's going to do it for us uh, here at Spot on Sports. Great show tonight. We want to thank Brad Merrilla for being our guest. Don't forget, folks, blues man, piano tuning, Brad Merrilla, the man with the perfect pitch. Just want to jump in. Evan Ingram, inactive tonight. Okay. Thank you for that update. 631-681-1234.
9723 for Brad Merrilla, Blues Man Tuning. Thank you, Brad. Congratulations on finding a permanent home for you two very impressive well models. Deserved. We want to thank Chris Caputo for hopping on with us. Great job out of Chris, as he always does. We're here at the Format Studio in beautiful downtown Deer Park, part of the J12 family of podcasts. Thrilled to be so. Our theme music spot on is by Scott Daly. Our logo art is by Valerie Hanatic, the Jets, Jets fanatic. fanatic. Our voiceover guy is the amazing A, Archie Snowden. Our engineer producer is the incomparable Michael Anthony. Thank you to everybody who came on tonight and who commented us. For everyone here at Spot on Sports, including the coach, Mike Adone, this is Mike Trezor saying we'll see you next time on Spot on Sports. Spot on Sports is brought to you by the Belfast Gastro Pub, where love stories begin. Located at 101 North Wellwood Avenue, Lindenhurst, New York.